But it's a fact of life that siblings squabble Look at Liam and Noel or Kane and Dable Well, we ain't got a bandana, don't wanna kill you But we'll sit and chat and argue about cinema reviews Who is right? Is it me or him? Well, you were always mother's favourite Are you still singing that hymn? Prepare for a battering, it's time for the squabblings! And welcome back for episode two of our monumental, game-changing series oh, in oh, Wilson, Wilson Month. month. Wow. <laughs> episode two already. Episode that's, two, look at that. that's, that's so really cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of stuff has changed since the last episode, Tom. I think so, yeah. Yeah, we, we we are in many ways in a different world to the one that we left the last time we turned our microphones off. Really? Yeah. Why? I mean, you came down with the pestilence that should not be named. I did, I I, I contracted the C word. <laughs> no, no, the other C word. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's the one, yeah, the new C word. The, the new not, C word. The not quite so deadly C word. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of the reasons why we picked up Scrobblings again is because we found we had a lot of time around the house again. Yeah, that's <laughs> Being true. stuck with each other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, having had COVID, the worst part, I think, was just losing my taste. Losing your Trying taste. To, and it didn't come back for a couple of weeks after all the other symptoms had gone. And I was just thinking, you know. So you, so you know how you've not got, you lost your taste? Yeah. Is that why you like this movie so much? Oh, well, that's a good one. That. That's a good one. Really, you know. I mean, to be fair, I thought you were going to insult my music tastes, but you know. Um, oh no, I mean that too. But you always had that. So. What do you mean? My my music taste is sublime. Oh, here I am we world renowned. I am world here respected. We fucking go again. Can, can you just name one band that you listened to that yeah. was formed after 1995? Yeah, several. Go on then. Uh, I quite like. Um, hmm, who, and here we who are. Do I, who do I like from this century? Quite like you know the darkness. They were fun. The darkness. Yeah. The f- yeah. Have you ever have you ever met anybody who's just like oh yeah I'm really really into the darkness. <laughs> you asked for, you asked for an example. The I gave you darkness. an example of a band post two thousand. Even that band is stuck in the past in the <laughs> glam rock 80s. That's kind of true, isn't it? They were very hair metal re- rehash, weren't they? And just uh, like The Darkness, stuck in a proverbial past, so is this film that we're looking at today. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. can't wait to tell them what we're looking at this week. Well, I think they probably read the episode title. <laughs> You'd think so, wouldn't you? What are we looking at today? So, this is the 2005 Starsky and Hutch film. This was Tom's favourite film when he was a wee lad. Well, it kind of was. You know how when when you grow up, often the things that are your favourite films... They are your favourite films because you haven't had a chance to develop any taste <laughs> or class yet. And because you had them on DVD. Yeah, exactly. And it was an easy film to whip out when you had your mates around. Yeah, the likelihood <laughs> is that it was probably just bought because it was on offer, you know, on, on a stand in Tesco somewhere yep. in about, I don't know, 2009 or something, a few years after it had been released. And, you know... I can think of it now, prepubescent Tom, with his mates in primary school, getting a packet of party rings. <laughs> Maybe a, a tube party of rings Pringles. Party rings are the fucking bomb, mate. <laughs> and saying, hey guys, let's sit down and let's, let, let's play a couple of hours of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King PS2 games, mm. and then we'll settle in for the evening and watch Starsky and Hutch. 
Yeah, probably. Well, actually, to be fair, I think now the multiplayer games have sort of had their day and there's a move towards a lot more story-driven games, to be honest. That's true. I mean, me and you, we had a great evening playing The Wolf Among Us and trying to figure out what we wanted to do collectively. Yeah, I did did all the the dick moves in The Wolf Among Us. I (laughs) I killed one of the Tweedle... Tweedledee and Tweedledum. I punched Georgie Porgy. A lot of people probably haven't played this game, but it's a great game. The Wolf Among Us. It's like a, a multi-choice It's a telltale story game, game. Saga, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, really good. Based on a comic book series. It's made by the same people that did the Walking Dead games, you know, where they, they look like sort of cartoons and they're yes. multi-choice and it affects all your choices affect the story of the game. And it's, it's based on the big bad wolf being a detective slash sheriff. Yeah. Looking after all of these um, fairy tale characters, mm. it is very good. Big B, he's called. Yeah, Big B, Big, Big Bad B. Wolf. <laughs> yeah, we are surprisingly in our odd little tangents, circulating back quite nicely to what this week's theme is. See, we had uh, the Big the, B was a detective. Big B was a detective. This is a cop drama. <laughs> the oh, darkness are stuck in oh, the past. I detect a so, segue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Starsky and Hutch is a 2004, I do apologise, 2004, <laughs> American body cop action comedy film directed by Todd Phillips. The film stars Ben Stiller as David Starsky and Owen Wilson as Ken Hutchinson. Oh, wow, there he is. That's really cool. <laughs> wow, look at that. <laughs> and is a film adaptation of the original television series of the same name from the 70s. This was a direct panda to the older generation, this film. Yes, I think I think so. It just shows that, you know, it's same shit, different day, isn't it? How <laughs> they're capitalising on all the nostalgia still today, like Disney, that's still bashing out films from franchises that were made eons ago. Hey, people used to like this back in the day. I know. Let's, let's just do it again. <laughs> I know, it's just for a slightly different generation. Hey, these guys used to maybe watch Starsky and Hutch. Hey, your mum really likes this TV show. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> The film was released on March the 5th, 2004 and received mixed reviews from critics. I think that's fa- a fairly good description. There's some decent things in it, but it's basically so-so, isn't it? Mm. But was a box office success by earning $170 million worldwide. What the Yeah, because it was all fuck? those old fuckers that saw the name. Oh, oh yeah, Star- yeah. Oh, little bit of Starsky and Hatch. That looks all right, yeah. They were definitely capitalising on the name. That's true. It's Member Berries, the film. It is, yeah. Ah, oh, man. Remember that car? Yeah. Oh, you remember Starsky and Hatch? Ah, oh, man. Remember, remember his golden hair? <laughs> <laughs> and, um,. As it mentioned in the Wikipedia article for this movie, it it stars some members of the frat pack, that very early noughties group of comedians, mentioned this in our Eurovision episode. Yeah. Uh, It's got some members of that that comedy troupe, that comedy group, but not all of them. Yeah. Uh, Most notable, as you've already heard, is uh, Ben Stiller. And uh, uh, Will Ferrell is, does, Will does Ferrell make also appears. a brief cameo yeah. in this. Vince Vaughn. And it has the feel of a frat pack film, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Even though I think over the years they've worked with different directors, the films often always tend up to be of the same style and feeling just because... They've got the same energy to them. And these guys are personality actors. They're not really, you know, method or character actors where you're that convinced they're playing anybody else really but themselves and because it's written by the same people they hit the same comedic notes as other comedies of that era written by those same people and a lot of the moments in this film i found myself thinking i think i've kind of seen this done elsewhere but better and funnier. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> something I'd agree with. This is an on-running pet peeve I have, really, with these actors, is that were they ever funny? <laughs> like, I know, they've, I know they, are, they do have some good films. Like, you know, Wedding Crashes is a good frat pack film. Kind of trying to think I mean, if there Anchorman, are any others. Anchorman, Anchorman is, is the staple, is, is always. Uh, Meet the Fockers has a Meet lot the of the, fo- is the frat pack, um, the frat pack staples. Blades of Glory cracker of a film but is it though is it i think it actually is pretty poor if you were to watch it without any nostalgia goggles on you'd probably be like this is just 
a sort of six out of ten Sunday afternoon comedy that everyone can watch. It's okay cannon fodder film, meaning it's, it's an they're okay films to have on in the background if you you know if it's post Christmas and yeah. everyone's in the living room together as a family and you're trawling through Netflix and I don't know, let's say for instance, your sister wanted to watch Hannibal, but no, let's not watch anything good. (laughs) Oh, I don't fancy that, Charlotte. Put on something a bit more light-hearted. What Charlotte is referring to is in fact why (laughs) we had to watch Blades of Glories because I'm sorry, but me and we outvoted Charlotte, me and mum, we just didn't feel like watching <laughs> Enter the Red Dragon. It's spooky season. Forgive me if I want to watch time. a it decent was like a, film. It wasn't at the time. It was early October. Which and is by spooky God, I, season. I will not be sucked into the holidays before <laughs> I have to, okay? Thomas, spooky season is any time in which Starbucks has a pumpkin spice latte <laughs> on its menu. I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. That's just what it That's is. That's just okay? what it is, yeah. <laughs> So after October, you might as well just say, oh, it's Christmas now. Oh, no, 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 no. You've got to leave a little bit of time for bonfire night. Then it's Christmas. Okay, so you've got your five days. Yeah, in bonfire night, you've got your anti-terrorism night. Oh, foreign listeners might not know what bonfire night is, because I actually did have to explain this uh, once to a, a, a flatmate of mine mm. who was from Malaysia. Oh, really? And yes, she was in, in Britain in her first year of university, and she didn't know what bonfire night was, and I had to explain to her what it was. Um Essentially, ladies and gents, uh, England doesn't like Catholics. <laughs> and back in, except for when they were Catholics, apart from when they were Catholic, <laughs> yeah. And back in the oh god, when was it? The seventeen hundreds in the no, it was King James the first, James- wasn't it? So James the first was after Elizabeth the first, which was and I think he was about sixteen oh three to you know something like sixteen fifty. Yeah, like that. okay. Uh, okay, so in uh, so after Britain had been uh, Protestant for quite a while, some Catholics Catholics were like, hey, this is a little bit shit because we're being persecuted and we're getting all our land and property taken away from us and whatever else. And they tried to blow up Parliament and their plan was pretty much thwarted when one of them wrote to a member of Parliament who was his mate saying, hey, don't go into Parliament on this day because, you know, you might be getting a little bit of the explosion-y, explosion-y treatment. Um, and they employed, a, I don't know what Guy Fawkes did, whether he was like a demolitions or explosives I, I think expert. He was, I think he was literally just like a, an explosion uh, explosion expert's mercenary. He was a mercenary. Oh, so he was a sapper or something like that. Yeah. He, Guy Fawkes is the the guy who on bonfire night, because it happened on the 5th of November, hence the British rhyme, remember, remember the 5th of November. But um, Guy Fawkes, I, d- I mean, it's, just, it's, just so, for it's some sort of reason. like shooting the messenger, yeah. really. Just, just for some reason, the poor guy just happened to be still in the cellar at the time when the authorities discovered him next to some barrels. And he is now the the only person remembered for ever being involved with the gunpowder plot because he was the one that was found and tortured and um, uh, killed for his crimes for, for yeah. treason. Yeah, and I think it was pretty close, according to I don't know anecdotal accounts or maybe just the historical accounts that he literally had a match out by some gunpowder. I've read this once in a textbook, and I find this fucking hilarious. Um, do you know what the name Guy Fawkes gave to the authorities was when they found him sn- sneaking about in the cellar? Um, he said, "Fork guys." No, he's like <laughs> you. What's your name, John? What's your Smith. second name, Johnson? <laughs> John Johnson. <laughs> so your name is John Johnson. <laughs> it's, nice, yeah. it's nice to know that even 400 years ago, under pressure, people still like crumble in the same way. John you, Johnson. What's your name? John Johnson. <laughs> and that could have been a Rat Pack scene. <laughs> that, I know. That I know that yeah. I can, I'm literally just picturing Ben Stiller in one of those pilgrim hats holding a match. <laughs> like, what's your name? John. Oh, yeah? John what? John what? Johnson. <laughs> you look mysteriously like a guy called Guy Fawkes, who's a well-known explosives expert. What? Never heard of him. What are you doing, buddy? Why are you trying to ruin my thing here? <laughs> <laughs> Shall we start comparing notes? Yeah.
film starts, my first note I've said, like any early 2000s film with a panning shot of water. And um, Couldn't be an early 2000s film if it didn't come out with a, uh, a helicopter flyover shot. A helicopter flyover shot. Um, I think I think this film kind of wanted to be hot fuzz, but it wasn't as well written. No, it's not anywhere near well well written, is it? No, it's, it's especially I I kind of noticed this in the in the beginning opening moments of the film that they had these the, the character study things and then the freeze frames of that's me, John Hutchinson. Yeah, I always catch the bad guy. <laughs> Classic cop drama, yeah. exposés. Yeah, yeah. So I thought actually the opening it's not so bad. I like it if it would have been maybe a bit more like that for the rest of the film. That might have been quite funny. Mm. That sort of fourth wall stuff. Because often I find in a comedy, breaking the fourth wall is quite entertaining. Yeah, and that, but they didn't stick with it. And then no. the, stylistically, they set up this very quirky, almost kind of Austin Powers feel yeah, to it. Yeah, it was, it. wasn't it? Yeah. And then it wasn't used, and and this a tonal big tonal shift from scene to scene throughout because it was one part Austin Powers, and then the second like second couple of scenes it was gritty and like oh this kid's mum she works three jobs and I look after him on the download. I know, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of the plot is just sort of shoehorned in, like you're saying. I don't think this film really had a lot of plot substance, and it, I think that's actually what a lot of cop dramas suffer from is that they tend to be about the grittiness and the shock factor often. Of being a cop in a big city. Well, usually whodunit stories that yes. they're, they're usually quite simple, aren't they? Mm-hmm. In On the premise, if you actually examine them like on paper, oh, it's just two cops trying to find a drug dealer. They're not like super interesting and it's actually the detail that makes cop dramas that interesting. Yeah, But this one just sort of lacked... Well, of the course, level of detail to make itself interesting. Uh, the, I think the, the series that this was based on was a, was a TV show, and it was an e- it was episodic, and they yeah. could have that freedom with their plot points, so you never got kind of bored of one thing or another. Mm. And then it, it kind of got me thinking: well, this is probably why they didn't make a Starsky and Hutch film back in the seventies. Yeah, <laughs> because it it does the it formatting just, just doesn't translate. Yeah, yeah, just I know it was popular, and it m- might have gone on. For a long time, but maybe it just wasn't that good. I mean, again, Starsky and Hutch is nothing special. You know, like, how many times have you seen the buddy cop drama when one of them is really serious and hard hitting, and the other one's quite light and relaxed and laid back? I mean, oh, that's I know, every yeah. single cop drama ever. Although to be fair, they do get some good laughs out of that. I feel like that's the one place it does actually make me laugh is the difference in the two characters. But it, but if if this was meant to be a dedication to or a love letter to the original Starsky and Hutch film, they've they've kind of switched around the personalities of the main characters. Is that true? Yeah, in the original TV show, it was like um, Hutch who was the serious by the book cop, and Starsky who was the more free, laid back. Oh, is that true? I didn't even realise that. That was one point that I was going to come on to, is that actually, is the only thing that is similar to Starsky and Hutch in this, really, the name, and maybe that it's set in Bay City? I think so. I think, essentially, you think what this is. Do you know what this is, Tom? This is Ben Stiller's fanfic for Starsky and Hutch. I think, yeah, it (laughs) Where it's just like a personality switch. Yeah. It's a prequel. It's a, oh my God, Tom, this is a prequel fanfic. It's not a prequel. It's more like having an alternate. It's in one of those like alternate universe Marvel comics where they're running with the, the same name, but they're switching it up. Really, it's, it's like the most the most recent Joker film where it's using the same universe. It kind of but, could but be it's, standalone. It's but, a standalone yeah. thing that's sort of different to the rest of the material. I mean, actually, it, it, it is kind of uncanny because there are there are moments in it when you think, "Oh, this is similar to everything I've ever seen ever," but then it's also kind of weird and strange and different. Like, yeah, like they, they hit a lot of the the tropes that you've seen over and over again. One thing I've got written down here is overused trope number three hundred and thirty-five: Andrew Black, police captain. Yeah, take my bed, <laughs> take my gun. Or overly used trope number five hundred and seventy. 
casual office <laughs> casual office sexual assault, but she likes it because it's the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I said yeah, that, didn't you know. I? It's like, yeah, when Hutch grabs that secretary's ass and you were and like, And she gives oh, a okay, little squeal just... and goes, oh! And, and I was like, I just Charlotte. turned around to Charlotte and I was like, it's okay, Charlotte, don't worry. She liked it because it's the 70s. <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> you probably would have a, a, a lawsuit on your hands today, I think, if that was true. That you would never ever get something like that now. But to be fair, maybe you'd be you, you might get away with it on the fact that Owen Wilson is very attractive and probably women do swoon after him in the office. Again. But if I did that, there'd probably be a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> but again, Owen Wilson, every time he spoke, it this 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 warm fuzziness just washed over me, thinking, It's okay, just calm down. You no, like I... this film, just carry on watching for I a little know, bit. Yeah. <laughs> We, I think I had a sinking feeling in my stomach re-watching it that I was just like, oh no, is this film shit? Is this film... B- was my favourite childhood film not good? Really bad? <laughs> Actually, I felt like there were some good points in it with the uh, the cinematography. I feel like it made sort of, you know, the West Coast of America stand out really nicely. Like it felt it was this sort of real f- free and easy 70s sort of feel to it where everything is just, you know, yeah, awesome as- and it's like surfer towns. Yeah, and, aesthetically, it had that nice, like, California, Long Beach, golden, yeah. honey colours and this beautiful... Everything yeah. that you think of when you think of, like, the 1970s in LA. Yeah, the weird thing is, I really film. feel like they made the film look good. They made it look like the 70s were a fun, awesome time to live. Yeah, with the casual bit of cocaine thrown in. And, yeah, yeah, you know, who cares if there's cocaine involved? Uh, it's the uh, 70s. I think as well that this film was made by men for men. Yeah, you know, because yeah, I, I, we, we were saying, I, I remarked on all the moments that looked really good, all involved car chases. I thought all the car <laughs> chases were done really well. But I mean, uh, uh, yes, a good 30... 35% of this film was just car porn for old white men. It's true. It's specifically for that Dodge Challenger that Starsky drives. Yeah. But yeah, you have your little car porn moments and you also have there's no real substantial female characters with any kind of personality in this film. Yeah, that's true. There's yeah. there's two cheerleaders and it's like what what do they add to it? I mean, Nothing. you you could you <laughs> because you've probably watched this film hundreds of times, you could remember those two characters' names. Yeah. I can't. It's Stace, Holly it's and Stacey something. and Holly. Uh, yeah. but, the, but the fact is, we, <laughs> we were saying the most prominent female character in it who sounds respectable was Starsky's dead mother. Who never once was, is not even in the screen. film. <laughs> it's just like, you know, that's also trope 335,000. If you're in a cop film, the protagonist is like, your mother or your father. Was, was the, the best, best cop in this precinct. On the force. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I'm not my mother, Sarge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- this film kind of gets going when the ang- angry black police captain yep. puts together trope number 776, putting two of the worst behaved cops in the department together in one team. Yeah, well, that, that that's <laughs> something that we came on to as well. I don't know what his logic was there. If I was the police captain, I wouldn't call in two different cops who have been misbehaving separately and and then go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pair you up. There's no logic to that. What I'd be doing is, there's no, for me, I'd be saying, there's no reason that I think Hutch will work well with Starsky. They're two very different people. It's not going to happen. No. What in fact should happen? Because Separate Hutch, disciplinary yeah, action for yeah, both of them. Separate disciplinary action. Hutch got too, in too deep with his gang undercover thing and robbed a bunch of places that's a that's a cause for in, an inquiry, an internal inquiry, inquiry yeah. and Starsky fired his weapon in an open area. That's a suspension. <laughs> mm-hmm. Done. You know, that's a police captain's job. <laughs> and why do they keep doing this trope in, in film? And the fact is, they got lucky, didn't they? They got lucky eventually that they uh, they caught the bad guy. But what did they do? Neither of them are good cops. No, I think that's that's fair to say. Starsky's bit uptight as you were saying Mm -hmm. and Hutch is just sort of lazy isn't he Hutch 100% is a bent copper (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know yeah I mean he's totally taking backhanders from Huggy Bear you know it that he's on his he's on his 
these books. <laughs> Huggy fucking bear. Can we just take a moment yeah. to appreciate the best bit of this film? The best bit about this film <laughs> is without a doubt Snoop Dogg as Huggy yes. Bear. It, it, I got so many laughs out of everything he said. But the thing is, he also plays a very overdone and very tired stereotype. But I fucking loved it. I don't know. I feel like Huggy Bear was the o- the OG um, pimp gangmaster. I suppose that's what you've got to consider with all of this, is that we now think of it as overdone and overused and done all the time. But back when Starsky and Hutch probably was on TV for the first time, it was new. Yeah, exactly. You see, um, yeah, but like Huggy Bear being the, the example, I mean, he is probably the reason why that stereotypical image of the pimp comes from. I mean, I've, I I put down in my notes, I was surprised he didn't have, like, you know, goldfish in his shoes. But yeah. <laughs> he, that, the original Huggy Bear probably made that stereotype. <laughs> it wasn't old and overused at the time. No, that's true. But it feels like that now. Also, on another note, another tr- an, the other trope there, the, the the flogging the dead horse of a comedy trope is the overly intelligent bodyguard figure who's sort of a weird oh, yeah, straight the, man figure. The, the muscle man who's actually got like a doctorate or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So the comedy in this film is quite interesting because there were moments... It's very American, I think. Yeah, I mean, comparing it to the other recent Frat Pack film that we did recently, the Eurovision film, yeah. I, fa- I found myself getting more laughs from this film than I did the Eurovision Fire Saga film. Oh, really? Yes. More from kind of the one-liners, though, as opposed to kind of the the, the scenario that they were in. Right. I mean... Just, just, just looking at this makes me remember him saying it, and then it makes me laugh. But do you remember when, when, when Huggy Bear says, "Be gone, little Indian"? <laughs> I know. There is, there is <laughs> what we describe now as just casual racism yeah. in this film. Like, 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 like the ass grab for the second street. Cas- casual sexism. Casual sexism. Yeah. <laughs> even though this film was only made in two thousand and five. I know. So there was, there was, be gone, little Indian. <laughs> And then there was um, mistaking a Korean boy for a midget. <laughs> it's a tiny little man and he's got knives. <laughs> There's a bit when the two of them walk into this redneck bar, both in um, in, in disguise. In, yeah, in disguise. And they've obviously, for some reason, they're on an underground, undercover mission where they've had to like get disguises and they've not discussed what their names are. I know. And then Owen Wilson just says, I'm Kansas, and this is my little man Toto. My little man Toto. <laughs> and Ben Stiller just looks at him like, just a look that's the best you could come daggers. up with. That's <laughs> the best you could come up with. What the hell? So, yeah, there were some good one, like like you say, there were a lot of one-liners in it that were funny. But it's hard for me to think, do we just laugh at them because we've seen it so many times, actually? I think this film was made to appeal to... Uh, uh, so people that can kind of switch their brains off, if you know what I mean. Like, that just enjoy, ah, oh, this is a thing that my mum has talked about and my dad has talked about or something I used to watch back in the day in the 70s and I can just sit back, relax and enjoy it, not think too closely about one thing or another. Yeah. And I found myself kind of thinking, you know, at various points, oh, these writers clearly don't know how women behave or these writers, <laughs> you know, don't understand what actual police work is or you know. yeah i think i think that's true yeah that doesn't really matter it it's, an, it's just an enjoyable film you know yeah i think there's a loose resemblance of what police work might be like because it's it sounds you know, like, like there's a loose resemblance to what women should behave like you know it, sa- <laughs> it sounds like to me that starsky and hutch as detectives they literally apart from i know captain dobie apparently gets on their ass a bit but they have like no responsibilities and no boss. They no. just decide. Oh, oh, we want to go down to the uh, the disguise department and get wigs again. And, and you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna rent a couple of Harley Davisons on on the uh, the money of the department and go riding out to a biker bar just just cause. And then just beat up someone and then have no allegations brought against the police yeah. department for brutality. I'd be like, or... you know what that is? That's a lawsuit right That's... there. It's also kind of the same with like the 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 the, the treatment of the female characters in this i mean i can totally understand why you as a prepubescent boy like this film because there's just one scene where this cheerleader just takes a top off and is delivering all her lines topless (laughs) i know yeah yeah women do that yeah i mean that's that's there's no logic to it because you just wouldn't do that would you no no one has ever done that tom but even like 
Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson in the film, they're, <laughs> they're playing that card, I think, for the men. And it is a bit lazy, I think. <laughs> One can wish. But, One you know. can wish. <laughs> so, talking about some of the performances in this, yeah. um, somebody that I thought was kind of flat throughout, yeah. and I wanted to kind of kick it up a notch and mm. go up a gear, was Ben Stiller. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I did kind of think his performance was a little bit flat in this. I think he's been much better and much, much more well, well-received things. Like what? Well, like Zoolander, for instance. I mean, Zoolander is like, I always say, like my go-to Ben Stiller performance. That film is fucking hilarious. Who was it who directed this film? Because Ben, the, the films that Ben Stiller stars in, usually the ones that he is taking creative control over, are usually much better. This was directed by Todd Phillips, so it wasn't actually directed by him. Yeah. So I think Zoolander was his project, wasn't it? Mm. So usually Ben Stiller just gets the best out of himself by producing and and directing his own films, I think. But also I kind of felt that both of them actually, Stiller and Owen Wilson, were limited in their performances because they had something or someone to to live up to. Yeah. With something that is so derivative, like a remake, you are always going to be comparing them to the previous actors. Yeah. I mean, I know we said in a lot of ways it wasn't that similar to the original material, but they are still confined by people's expectations when they go into a film. It was, it was, it was like both of them had something to prove, and because they didn't have that like breathing space with an original character or an original work, yeah, it felt quite that they they weren't giving it a hundred percent. I mean that this will not stand up with my like top Owen Wilson performances. No, definitely not. Or my stiller performances. No, he's a bit weak in this, I think, Owen Wilson. It's one of the weaker films he's done where I think mm. it sort of feels like really that he's fo- this one more than any of them, he's phoning it in. I don't think he's that... I mean, we've talked about how lovable he is as an actor, as, yeah. a, as a performer anyway. And he's still kind of lovable in this, but he, he doesn't. It, it just doesn't play to his strengths in the same... in the way that other films that he's been in have been. Like, Owen Wilson, you'd say, is is charming, approachable... But a little bit cheeky and a little bit kind of, oh, naughty. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I just, uh, he was fine. Like that, that, that's it. That, that's yeah, the word the, that sums up all of that. This, that, this, this film. It's fine. It's, like, eh, it's fine. It was okay. One word to describe this film. It's fine. That, that, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, Vince Vaughn as well. Oh god, Vince Vaughn just gets on my tits. Oh, I can't. God, fuck it. Has question, Tom? Has Vince Vaughn ever been? Funny, funny once in his life. No, I don't. Well, I don't think so. I think <laughs> the what the only film I've ever enjoyed Vince Vaughn in was Wedding Crashes. That's a uh. good. That's 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 a good comedy. I think Wedding Crashes is a much better comedy than uh, Starsky and Hutch. I think actually when he's paired with Owen Wilson, he's a much better, more pessimistic, uh, nihilistic. He, he's sort like of the, straight he's man. the straight man to Owen Wilson's to Owen funny Wilson's, man. Yeah, a bit yeah. lighter sort of. Uh, breezy easy going sort of thing so that dynamic actually worked really well in wedding crashes but you'd think that is basically the same thing ben stiller's trying to do here because apparently uh ben stiller is quite is, is a bit of a dictator anyway when he's working <laughs> on a film i mean apparently he's perfectly nice but that is sort of his per- personality that he is quite um meticulous and, yeah meticulous yeah. and uh tough and a bit sincere i think so I don't really know why it doesn't work with Ben Stiller because he has those traits, but it just doesn't, does it? No, I think they they try to get a little bit of it back as well at, at moments, and I, and I could kind of see them trying to do this when they gave Owen Wilson the guitar and <laughs> made him sing "Don't Give Up on Us, Baby." That that that, that weird was actually little for meta. me <laughs> was quite a funny moment because that was where. It was trying to be a bit more clever, where it was a bit meta, where it was like, oh, it's weird because David Saul, who played the original Hutch, wrote that song. And I was like, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit more clever and weird. Those moments were, I think, few and, you know, few and far between. Well, I think that moment is why no one's asked Ben, um, Owen Wilson to be in a musical. (laughs) His singing voice wasn't (laughs) great, was it? Yeah, he's obviously just like not a singer. He can hold a tune, apparently. It's all right. <laughs> but he's, he's obviously not got much training doing any v- vocals or anything. That was apparent. 
I mean, I, I could I could see them having fun with what they were doing. Yeah. And I could see them almost kind of poking fun at themselves as well. Because there, there were moments of clarity where they know the film that they're making and you can see it kind of breaking the surface every once yeah. in a while. Like... Uh, when they have the, 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 the kind of the flashback shot of, oh, uh, we're fighting, but let's flashback to a moment we were getting along. And it's yeah. like the two of them running on the beach with matching outfits. I think, yeah, and- I think they know that this film, although it's, it, I think, yeah, like you're saying, in the film, they actually know that they're sort of taking the piss out of themselves and mm. it's not that sincere. Because no. like you say, there's that great moment where it just cuts to a flashback of like Ben Stiller, wanting you know he's like he wants to make up with hutch and it cuts to that moment where he's having like a dream about them or something and they're just running down the beach doing this really like homoerotic sort of man love sort of thing where they're running along tussling each other's hair and they're wearing shirts that in rainbow colors say starsky and hutch on them it's really it's it's really quite funny they know a hundred percent what they're doing they they absolutely do they absolutely do and and also like they I think they also knew that this was a, a nostalgia project, and there's because there was a moment towards the end of the film as well when the kind of the style and the cinematography changed, and I th- I thought, huh, this looks like a seventies cop show. Yeah. Uh, during during the climactic scene, but yeah, they but they purposefully made it look like uh the, the it was a 70s style of filming. Yeah. Um. Because so, nowadays, of course, when you're filming a car scene, you will have you know. Two actors actually in the car and the outside. And the cameras are better. You just recorded. mount the cameras, the small camera on the front of the car so you can shoot what's inside. But of course, back in the day, um, you're all kind of probably familiar with scenes in 70s, 80s shows where it's obviously a green screen. It's a green screen. Outside yeah. the car. Yeah, yeah. Someone's and, just taken footage yeah. of somebody driving along and put it on a green screen behind. But they did that on purpose in this film to make it look like it's that more 70s it's more style. subtle isn't it i think you'd miss it unless you were looking out for it yes yeah but again but again that was a, a, a wonderful great little nod i thought and it just changed tonally changed the film uh into becoming 100 percent more self-aware than i originally believed that they that they were i didn't think they were self-aware i think at all. if they'd have doubled down on a few more of those type of yes, stylistic exactly, yeah. tropes they've dialist you know doubled down on those stylistic choices it would have been a lot better yes it it, it kind of it, it made the film seem more clever than it unfortunately turned out to be or yeah. felt like because it it made it feel like they were they knew what they were doing they knew the film they were making they knew the stylistic choices they want to make it was a, it was a mix really because there were some really great moments like that and and everything else but then a confusing mix of uh cinematography yeah every so often they're throwing some like panning shots of san francisco that were obviously taken from the you know the, the um, west american tourist board yeah <laughs> some some nice kind of um sierra nevada sunsets and and you got to consider is it even a ben stiller film if he doesn't bust out some dance moves for some reason <laughs> it's does, like what? why why still i think he's a good dancer <laughs> I, I wonder that yeah but i wonder if it was like in his contract with his agent he was just like i've got to dance in this film no more than that let's see if we can get out of them a scene where i do a dance on because <laughs> it's the 70s i want to be john travolta he wanted to make saturday night fever in that in that scene yeah, but things like that where they're totally irrelevant to the story, I get a little bit pissed off with them. I was like, "What's the point? What's the point what of was, this scene? What was the point um, of him doing that?" I th- I feel like there could have been a hundred and one better ways to show that because the point of that was basically to show that he's off his head on cocaine. So now they know that the cocaine is real cocaine, and they could have done that. I think in a hundred and one better ways. Shall we move on to the Koskis? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> It's time for the Quaskers Who's the best and who's the worst The Academy don't know shit We shall decide So who's your best in film going to? Uh, my best in film. I feel in this story there are no winners. 
And there is a, <laughs> the weird thing is that is a first. There are no winners because you know what? I'm just disappointed in everybody. I'm not angry. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. I mean, it's not even. Do you know? I feel it would almost be too much effort to, to be disappointed in this film. It's the thing is, yeah. To be disappointed, you have to have you expectations have to <laughs> riding on it. To be honest, if your expectations aren't that high, then you can't get disappointed by something, basically, is what I'm saying. And, you know, it wasn't like I really wanted a good Starsky and Hutch film because I was a massive fan of the original or anything. <laughs> yeah. So there are no winners here. Apart from Snoop Dogg. Oh, I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, honorary mention, Snoop Dogg is pretty funny in this. And actually, he's not a bad actor, is he, Snoop Dogg? Snoop, uh, well, well, to be fair, of- he is just playing... That's the thing. This film, the cast was just, we're just going to get everybody who just plays themselves and hope that it roughly <laughs> <Yes>. works <laughs> in the roles. Like Snoop Dogg, he does just play himself in this, doesn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely. But I did find myself thinking Snoop Dogg's scenes are the most enjoyable ones. That's true. He, he, was, he was just a joy to watch. And to be fair, he had the best one-liner of everything. <laughs> yes. Which was, I found your nine-iron bitch. <laughs> which was just fantastic. I mean, if you don't know, Vince Vaughn has a little hissy fit in the film when Snoop Dogg is undercover and he's meant to be a golf caddy and he doesn't know what a nine iron is. And it's like, you know, if you're going to go under... Number one, if I was going to go undercover as a golf caddy, oh, golf. try and learn a little bit about golf, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah like... <laughs> They're trying to portray that the American police are sort of lazy in this. I mean, that's how it comes across. But, you know, they do more research than that. It kind of does, doesn't it? Does it uh, if, Number if one anything, is, why was an informant going undercover? Why would they not just get another policeman why would they, to is go the, undercover? Is there literally nobody else that they can trust to go undercover for them, apart from the the gang lord that they get no, I know, their yeah. information from. I mean, it doesn't make sense from a definitely from a police work point of view. I think it was probably just a writing choice that they didn't want to introduce another character. Is it, is it literally because they wanted more scenes with Huggy Bear? Yeah. Literally probably Might was, even have been it? contractual. <laughs> Snoop Dogg must appear in X number of no, scenes. No, I know, yeah. <laughs> My worst in film yeah. is going to be Stiller. Ben Stiller. Mm. Yeah, that's because you know, choice. you know when you're watching somebody try to do something too hard, and yeah. it's embarrassing. Ben Stiller, as a person, I feel like has never been what you'd call cool. No, like he's ne- <laughs> you'd never describe no. Ben Stiller as cool. You'd probably say he's a decent actor. You know, good work ethic, creative. You know, he's good at doing what he does. Yes. Um, but not cool. And this was a role where you, somebody like you know Starsky and Hutch, they sort of need to exude an air of cool, don't they? They mm-hmm. need to exude that, you know. And it's they they just well Ben Stiller certainly doesn't. Owen Wilson is a little more what you'd describe as conventional cool. I'm thinking of the uh, um, the British parallel for Starsky and Hutch again, like Ashes to Ashes and Life on Mars. You needed a stellar personality like Philip Glenister, Gene Hunt. Yeah. To just exude that confidence and that absolute badassery. Yeah. And Ben Stiller's just not really Well, he's he's a conf maybe he's confident. I feel like he's a co- he's confident enough. But I don't know why yeah, nothing about him exudes cool to me. So what else about him did you think was particularly bad though? I thought that he wanted to prove something and he wanted to almost signal to the Academy, hey, look, I can do other things that are not my passion projects as well. Yeah. And I think he did this more for his own CV than he did for a love of the original source material. See, I wonder with some of the actors, is was it literally just take the money and run? They do it just because it's work? I, I, yeah, but I, I, parts it kind of, in parts it felt like that, but in other parts it did feel like it came from a genuine place of love. Like getting the original actors in for kind of the... <laughs> final scene yeah i mean that's that's always a nice little honorary nod and i felt actually that was handled fairly well like with any project you will have some people that were more behind it than others and i think for a lot of people their hearts weren't in this project so therefore it didn't come across with the same same passion passion yeah that it probably deserved and you know who i didn't like in the film 
was just mm. Vin- Vince Vaughn, really. Vince Vaughn. He did okay. He plays a convincing asshole. <laughs> yes. Um, which is fine, but um, the film didn't really go into anything at all about why Vince Vaughn is a drug lord. I mean, it seems like, obviously, he's got some sort of business where he's he got some cover-up business where he sounds like a perfectly re- reputable businessman. There's nothing to suggest any backstory. It's like, why is this guy selling coke? Well, he's just a bit cringy, isn't he? That's what he's meant to be. He's just, really like meant to be just a bit of a, a cringy CEO, drug lord type. I know, but why? That, But that's just like mega tropes, like drug dealers hanging out on yachts in the <laughs> 70s. It's like, can you Listening get... Listening to Barry Manilow. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, you know what they're doing? They're and listening that, to Michael McDonald out there. that that you like. Yeah, Michael, Michael McDonald. Don't diss Michael McDonald, Fucking okay? Hell. He is oh. the voice of a generation. He is quite possibly the worst thing that has ever been put to, on, on record. Apparently, he's the most prolific backing vocalist in American history. Oh, my God. Poor souls. He's been on he's so many records. He's poisoned everything, has he? No, he's great. <laughs> I think I think he's just the best thing ever. And you can't even understand what he's fucking saying half uh, the time. It does sound a little bit like he's got cotton balls in his mouth. <laughs> I think he's got a very nice soulful voice, Michael McDonald. Is it because everyone was so addled on cocaine they thought that he was kind of mellow? I feel like I feel like in the eighties, the weird thing is, if you were if you were like in LA and you worked in like the music business or something, you probably did a hell of a lot of coke. I feel like the, the one correlating story I always hear is everyone was doing coke. It was just everywhere. <laughs> just everyone was on coke. That's the, the commonality yeah. of every musician. Just in like the literally 80s. everybody was doing coke. Cross. It was fucking great. It brought genres together. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, literally. Who do you think your best supporting was? I feel like actually the role of Will Ferrell being a bit of a creep, that was quite funny. Oh, as a big girl. But then again, it was a bit throwaway. It's like, why have Will Ferrell in such a small supporting role? They weren't utilising his comedic potential. Unless, like you were saying, because it's another frat pack film, it's one of those things where he's involved as maybe a producer role or something. They always have small cameo roles in each other's projects, don't they? It's just like a face that they can rely on to kind of boost. Yeah. I'm just going to go out there on a limb and say, you know what, I've never really cared for Saturday Night Live either. Oh, that is going to be controversial, that one. Yeah. You know you know what? If you were to look at somebody's track record and say nine times out of ten, it's not a funny show. And then there was like one tasty morsel nugget one time out of ten yeah. or something. You'd be like, that's not a good track record. I am actually kind of finding myself agreeing with you there. I was literally about to say they have one or two funny sketches a season, maybe. Yeah, they do. They have like one or two nuggets of gold, like, it needs more cowbell yeah. and, and things like that. <laughs> but, and even then, when you really examine it, what what actually makes you laugh about that? It's just sort of... It's Christopher uh, Walken, of, really. He's not a Saturday Night Live and like, maybe staple, And maybe if you're a musician, you can laugh at the fact that the cowbell player, you know, the percussionist is 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 getting the most sex in the band or whatever. But And you know what is another pet peeve? If anyone's ever seen any Saturday Night Live, because I know our audience will be mostly British, Jimmy Fallon, the, the talk show host who used to be on Saturday Night Live, like... The guy cannot ever get through a sketch without laughing. No. And that just pisses me off. If I'm watching a... Com- you know, if it's I'm watching... It's the first rule a... of improv. Don't corpse on stage. No, I know, yeah. <laughs> don't laugh at your own material. It's just not... It just takes people out of it. It's not funny. It ruins the jokes. Has Jimmy... Try go go through Saturday Night Live and try and watch any of Jimmy Fallon's bits, and he'll be laughing. Five pounds to any man who can find me a sketch Jimmy Fallon is in, in which and, he does and, not and laugh granted, at his own material. It's usually that Will Ferrell is winding him up doing something that's not on the script. That's why he's laughing. <laughs> you know, something like rub, rubbing his leg in a hot tub when he when no one else can see it, like playing footsie with him or something. Or... <laughs> so, who's your best supporting, Charlotte? Um. I think my best supporting is going to go to America's most punchable face. Um, oh, can I guess? Oh, go on. Who's, who do I think America's most <laughs> punchable faces from this cast? Um, oh, I know. I think I know who it is. I know. I think I know who you is. Is it going to be that really annoying cop? Manetti. Yes! <laughs> that guy, I knew it. I Chris, knew it. Chris Penn as yeah. Manetti. It's always yeah. people who just like, God, you are typecast as playing assholes. Like. Yeah, There's, he's been in quite a few films where he is just 
yeah, the fall guy, yeah. like dumb shit. Classic, or... classic, like, you know, antagonist sort of like, yeah. not even like antagonist in a uh, an actual threat sort of way, just like a pain in someone's ass. Just, just like somebody to say something, walks on screen and says something mean. <laughs> says something mean to highlight an insecurity in the character, maybe. Hey, buddy, they're the small towels. The big boy's house are up there. <laughs> Good one, Manetti. He, I hated him so much. No, I I'd do no, with Manetti. He's done his job. I would take out my forty-four Magnum and fucking shoot him in the face. I just when you're explaining it to the angry black police officer at the end of the day, you just, just like say, Sarge. We oh, all, I just went off Ca- accidentally. Captain Doby. We all know Manetti was a cunt. Right? <laughs> we all know he was well, a dickhead. Anybody really miss him and if he ends up at the bottom of the bay his wife's probably not gonna miss him (laughs) like i mean look at him he's hardly like brad pitt is he (laughs) i doubt his kids will miss him he doesn't sound like he's a good family man so he was the worst supporting yeah he was my best supporting. he was your best support why was he your best supporting I, i just thought he had some kind of semblance of a character why? Well, be up beyond kind of well. Okay, so I'm gonna level with you. All of the supporting actors, they were one note. What they played one emotion, and that's it. That's true. With yeah. Captain Dobie, it was I'm angry and frustrated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. With, with with Minetti, it was I'm a dick. Yeah. <laughs> with Will Ferrell, it's I'm a creep. Yeah. With all of the women, is uh-huh. it's not even an emotion. It's just that noise, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Yeah, there were. Do you know what? Guys I, are cute. I wouldn't insult the female race for choosing any of the female characters for the best supporting role for this one because they they weren't really characters. They were just like nice little dolly birds that they dressed up in seventies outfits. F- in fairness, though, on the billing, they're not good actors anyway, are they? It's not like they they there was really any wasted uh, talent there. It's not like they say no. they cast Meryl Streep in that role and it's like it's a waste of a Meryl Streep. No, but do you really need a Meryl Streep to bring alive your supporting cast? No, but the fact is it's not like Carmen Electra will ever be remembered for being an outstanding actress, is it? <laughs> yeah, but is it is it unreasonable of me to want more from my female characters? No, that no, that's that's true, but I think I'm just saying nothing. You, nothing gained, nothing lost. E- even if it was a fair billing, where you know you were going to treat the women as the same as the men in this film, as you would, you wouldn't probably say that they were the best supporting characters anyway, would you? You're right in saying <laughs> that you should expect more female interaction in a film like this. It was lacking, but it wasn't like they it was were a great complete supporting sausage anyway. Fest, this film. It was a film by men for men about men. There we are. Oh, and there's and there there's this, yeah there's this woman on the side, Kitty, this bit who on the also side, has like yeah. two lines as well. Who's, who's one note is I'm annoying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like I'm stupid. Yeah. The characters had no depth. No. They were they were they were two D. They were like um, they were like posters. They were like big cardboard cutouts of <laughs> of 70s drama tropes i was actually quite surprised this got made to be honest because 70s dramas they're not they're just for, for good reason like cop dramas like that they're not fashionable anymore are they no they have fallen out they have fallen out of fashion quite a bit i mean the whole kind of fascination with the police force has died i think think really with uh, with csi new york and miami and yeah i think that, that was kind that of was the era. last thing of that that ilk. was the last hurrah of the cop related and even then i think. think that csi was a transitional thing where cop dramas have only really survived today by being high sort of about really hyper realistic gritty things cop dramas today they're about like trying to find serial killers or and, they're and police really, that are broken individuals and stuff like that or they're really gimmicky like Lucifer. It's like it's a cop drama, but one of them is the literal devil, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially since that was a transitional period as well for the cop drama, where it was CSI and things done like that. I don't know how this film got made, really. No, you do. I, who's asking? Who's really Who out asked there for demanding a for a, film? Yeah, it's like that shit that our mother was watching during lockdown that had. I was Bruce just thinking Willis that it's it. like. Moonlight or whatever it was I was called. just thinking, a lot of serial dramas from that era, 
they just weren't good. No. <laughs> and there were a lot of people about in those days making really good films, you know, like Stanley Kubrick and Francis Ford Coppola. It's yeah. not like the standard of film and TV couldn't have been really good if people had directed the funding to the right areas. But a lot of it was just trash. Mm -hmm. Like you watch it and some of it is unwatchable. It's like Moonlighting. Yeah, I feel like that. It wasn't good. No. It was not that good. No. <laughs> really, like some really bad stuff. I mean, this is, the, I think, the, the hard lesson that you have to learn sometimes with nostalgia. You know, sometimes it's just better to let something you used to like die. <laughs> or, you know, or just, because it was it was kind of rubbish. Or just realise that as an adult, you won't like it again. So just, I would say, let it be preserved in amber and don't dig yeah. it up. <laughs> don't try and crack open that amber because you won't like what you find. Don't rewatch it. Just let it die. Just let it die. <laughs> Only re you know what you know what you should do as a precaution. Just go. Oh, I used to like this film. You know what I'm going to do before I watch it? I'm going to look up the Rotten Tomatoes rating. And if it's like, <laughs> oh God, it's got like thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, I won't watch it. Do you know what? Just, I'll keep just, the the memory nice. Just and leave warm. it in your rose tinted memory. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> it's rose tinted glasses, isn't it? <laughs> Just give up on it, baby. The past was probably shite. The seventies were just alright. But in your hazy memoirs, you miss the aging of film and TV stars. From the seventies, baby. Sideburns and high-waist jeans And Playboy magazines No one wants a reboot Of cheers or happy days Just give up on it, baby Don't watch that remake There's lots of other cop dramas Starsky and Hutch is nothing special Might I request you give something new a go Just give up on it still Your niche is Zoolander you aren't that good of an actor You can do much better When you've got zilch to prove Don't give up on your own work This is not your groove Just give up on it, baby The car pawns just to make the men bite They'll watch it on slow evenings Cause boomers want their youth Just give up on it baby It's for the long in Ladies and gentlemen, Michael McDonald. I don't think he was funny once in this film. He's never been funny in living memory. He was shown up by Snoop Doggy Dog. God, a Snoop isn't a comic actor and he shows up Vince Vaughn. So much better than Vince Vaughn. He's king of the millennium. There are certain films we watch that are still bangers, you know. I'm glad that we've grown up in the Disney renaissance because you can't deny that things like all the Disney films are actually really good. 
And, you know, kids still watch them today because they hold up. But what I'm saying is I'm glad that there are exceptions to the rule where, where it's, it's not just shit that you've grown up with instead of nostalgia. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, there are some there are generally some things in 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 um in our in in our childhood that were genuinely good. It's like but I also appreciate that there are things that I look at through rose-tinted glasses. Like that no one can ever tell me whilst I walk this earth that the original mummy films are not absolutely brilliant. <laughs> what are you talking you know? about? <laughs> I mean, that, that those films are kind of my equivalent for like a film that I probably I know is a little bit one, rubbish. I actually think the first one is decent. The second one's dog shit. The second one is absolute. <laughs> we dog don't shit. talk about the third one. <laughs> the third one cannot even be spoken. No. Shall we end it there? On that somber On that note. Somber, sad <laughs> note. Let's just discuss a little bit what about what we've got coming up on Owen Wilson month next. <gasps> We are excited. I think so, yeah. So uh, probably next week we will be looking at the seminal Owen Wilson work, Wedding Crashes. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Or maybe Marley and Me. Oh, probably a tearjerker yeah. one that he's been in. Marley like, and Me, the film that your girlfriend took you to see in the cinema because it was about a nice dog. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and of course, his wonderful wonderful partnership with somebody with Jackie who, Chan. yeah so somebody who you would never have paired with the likes of Owen Wilson but for some reason i would follow both of them into war no, you know? i would you know what <laughs> i swear Jackie Chan's agent his entire thing is just about who can we pair Jackie up today with so that people just wouldn't expect it. <laughs> the and we can make the entire film based on the, the on juxtaposition of dynamic. the pairing. <laughs> yeah, that's all Jackie Chan films ever. That's what Rush Hour was. They, they write themselves. You just have some, some weird kind of pairing between this kung fu master yeah. and somebody who is wildly inept compared to them. Yeah. And yeah, the film writes itself. And then you throw in a couple of uh, stunt scenes where, I don't know, Jackie Chan's whole holding a baby in a foldable chair. He says, I don't want any trouble. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, you know, yeah. and that's it. There you go. You've got an early 2000s action film with Jackie Chan. That could be something all on its own, Jackie Chan month, where oh, we have... Jackie Chan Jackie is the, Chan the master month. of using props in fights. Yeah. That's what he's known for. Like comedy prop fights. He's amazing. Love it. <laughs> all right. So if you Wedding want... crashes next week yes sign in if you want to hear our discussion about wedding crashes in the coming weeks then please do give us a follow on apple podcast or wherever you find your podcasts under squabblings and if you want to recommend a future episode and uh, maybe another themed month like we have done for owen wilson month or maybe even a standalone episode you can contact us on facebook on uh Instagram and on Twitter under Squabblings and you can also email us at squabblingspodcast at gmail.com gmail.com motherfuckers <laughs> yeah a strong a strong little swear to yes. end on <laughs> do email in if you have any suggestions we were throwing some ideas around a bit earlier weren't we we were thinking Sean Connery the death of a career <laughs> things like that you know what Danny Danny DeVito month. I really want Danny DeVito. Month. You know what I was thinking about that? Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. <laughs> Danny DeVito. How did he get to be such an outrageously famous actor without really ever headlining any film? Is it because What is he headlined in? Again, he has been at the center of some people's childhood nostalgia. Uh, so now when those people have grown up they revere him as uh, you know the the, the stout little demigod he is i think it's more like a stiller type <laughs> scenario where he's a producer type as well isn't he he is yes yeah so maybe he's just ridden on the success of things he's produced really he's hardly a leading man type is he <laughs> <laughs> Like you look, you don't look at him and think, "Oh wow, he's he's Hollywood. He's the he's, face of this new brand. Yeah, yeah, he is everything Hollywood stands for. He's gonna be, he's gonna be the charge leading this reboot or this remake. You know what? You know what he is. He is evidence to the contrary 
that Hollywood is about unrealistic bodies and unrealistic <laughs> stereotypes. Yes, but you have then to again, be like Tom, that to make it in Hollywood. How many people do you actually know who look like Danny DeVito? That's what I'm saying. He's like the opposite end of the spectrum. The it's guy still came out with male pattern baldness. I think <laughs> he came he out came his mum with a bald womb. patch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he just came out like that. And again, much like Owen Wilson, I can't think of another actor who's been memified in the way that he has. What, Danny DeVito? Yeah. I dropped my magnum dog! (laughs) That was a terrible impression. Please disregard what you have just heard. (laughs) Rum ham! Rum ham! I'm sorry, rum ham! (laughs) Yeah. Well,. Please, please, please let us know if you want to see a Danny DeVito month. <laughs> I think that'd be quite a good idea, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, maybe let's put a little... We'll put a little forum out on Facebook. Uh, vote. Do you want Sean Connery month where we discuss uh, yes. what was basically for Sean, from Sean Connery being one of the biggest actors ever going from bad career choice to bad career choice? What were the films that destroyed his career? Yeah. Or would you like to see... A Danny DeVito month. Uh, another dedication to an actor beloved of this generation. Yeah, Hollywood's biggest plug. They said he couldn't be a star, but he just kept at it. Hair plug. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye. Goodbye.